Welcome to the podcast of Outpost Church in McLarenvale, where we seek to be apprentices of Jesus. We are currently looking at the Sermon on the Mount, which can be found in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, where Jesus is announcing the kingdom of heaven with its implications for every aspect of our lives. There is so much for us to learn and to put into practice. Let's get into it with this teaching from our Sunday gathering. Today will take us to the end of chapter 6, which is the middle chapter of the Sermon on the Mount. And we're going to focus in on the last few verses. So starting at verse 25, it is a very famous passage about not worrying. Um, But we are going to recap the whole chapter. And, you know, as we look through Matthew chapter 6, we see that Jesus gives clear directives of both what not to do, but also what we are to do instead. He tells us, don't show off about your generosity, but rather give to others without drawing attention to yourself. Don't pray elaborate prayers to impress people with your words or your holiness, but rather pray behind closed doors. Don't make it obvious to others when you fast, but rather do it for God and for him alone. Don't store up treasures on earth, but rather treasures in heaven. Don't serve money, but serve God instead. And don't worry about your life, but rather seek First, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And the reality is that all of us can improve in every single one of those areas that I've just listed. However, there are going to be things that are particularly challenging and we're going to have blind spots. So Lord, show us what we need to see today. Open our eyes. And today, we're going to have a look at a story from the early church. It's an intense story, but it highlights some of the key points from this chapter, this showing off of generosity, this storing up treasures on earth and serving money are big features in this story. It is a story of judgment and that's unusual. It does stand out in the New Testament. As we look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, John and Acts, just time and time again uh, in the narrative of these books, we see God extending grace upon grace to those who need it. Um, But in this case, it seems that there is direct judgment. Uh, So let's pray. Father, would you speak to us today? Thank you that your word is alive and active. Thank you that this is what we need, is to sit and to listen, to sit and study, uh, that we may uh, gain insight and understanding from your scriptures and apply them to our lives, and have your spirit apply them to our lives, that we may live it out, uh, not be, um, yeah, just hearers of the word only, but doers of the word. We need your help in this. So speak to us now. May our hearts be ready. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to read from Acts chapter 4, starting at verse 32, and we're going to read, across the chapter. We're not going to stop the end of the chapter. We're going to read uh, into chapter 5 and we will finish at verse 11. And so it starts off with an absolutely beautiful picture of what was going on in the early church. So this is very soon after um, the Holy Spirit had been given. So Jesus had ascended up to heaven after spending those 40 days um, with the disciples and 
Um, he ascended into heaven, sent the Holy Spirit. They received the Holy Spirit. He came in power. Um, we've seen demonstrations of power. Um, and we know that they uh, live the shared life. Um, yeah, and we get another picture of that in uh, starting from verse 32. Now the entire group of those who believed were of one heart and mind, and no one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but instead they held everything in common. With great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was on all of them. For there was not a needy person among them, because all those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the proceeds of what was sold, and laid them at the apostles' feet. This was then distributed to each person as any had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus by birth, the one the apostles called Barnabas, which is translated son of encouragement, sold a field he owned, brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. But a man named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property. However, he kept back part of the proceeds with his wife's knowledge and brought a portion of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Ananias, Peter asked, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the proceeds of the land? Wasn't it yours while you possessed it? And after it was sold, wasn't it at your disposal? Why is it that you plan this thing in your heart? You've not lied to people, but to God. When he heard these words, Ananias dropped dead, and a great fear came on all who heard. The young men got up, wrapped his body, carried him out, and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Tell me, Peter asked her, did you sell the land for this price? Yes, she said, for that price. Then Peter said to her, why did you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Instantly, she dropped dead at his feet. When the young men came in, they found her dead, carried her out, and buried her beside her husband. Then great fear came on the whole church and on all who heard these things. Barnabas sets the tone. He is one who uh, has some land, he sells the land, and he comes in, and he gives everything that he got from the land, and they describe it as laying it at the apostles' feet. And the apostles then distribute it to those who have need. Um, and then it seems to be that there's a number of people who follow suit and they're selling houses, they're selling land um, and they are laying the proceeds from those sales at the apostles' feet and it's given to whoever has need. It's a beautiful picture. Uh, but then we have this couple who decide that they won't actually um, give everything but they'll give a portion of it. We don't know how much that portion was um, but they give a portion of it and they hold back a portion for themselves. And it's understandable. Like you sell a property, um, it is understandable that you would not give absolutely everything of what you sold to the church. But the problem is they made out as though they were giving everything. And Peter makes it clear. When you owned it, it was yours. When you sold it, the money was yours. You could do with it as you chose. Why would you test the Holy Spirit? 
Why has Satan so filled your heart? There's a number of really strong statements that Peter uses. Why did you agree to test the Spirit of the Lord? You have not lied to people, but to God. So the issue is not that they didn't give everything. The issue is that they lied and made out that they had given everything. And it seems at a plain reading, that this was God's judgment on them. If all we had to go off was what happened to Ananias, you could go, all right, maybe he had a heart attack in that moment and the guilt overcame him. But the fact the same thing happened with his wife and Peter even called it out before it happened, it does seem to be an act of judgment. And it stands out in the New Testament. We've got one instance a few chapters later where Paul tries something that worked really well on him when God struck him down blind um, and he strikes this guy called Bar-Jesus down blind. We have those two in the narrative in terms of Matthew, Mark, Luke, John and Acts. We have those couple of instances where there seems to be judgment that is delivered in this kind of way, but it is not the norm. But we certainly get the idea that this is not God's way where we make it appear one way before people when it's not the reality. We're going to go back to Matthew chapter 6, if I can keep my footing. Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to read through the whole lot. So we've been looking at this the past couple of weeks, um, and our focus is going to be the last few verses. So from verse 25 to 34 will be what we'll focus on today. But we're actually going to read through all of chapter 6. And we're doing that because it is so much about not making a show of things. So when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. You're not sounding trumpets before you as you are being generous with stuff. And so this is very relevant um, to the story that we just read. So Matthew chapter 6. Um, for this one... What we're going to do is I'll read the odd verses and I want all of you to join in for the even verses. So we're going to read um, just the first four verses together. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father in heaven. So whenever you don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be applauded by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. It's not about putting on a show. It's not about people thinking that we are incredibly generous. We're not actually called to hide every good thing that we do. Like I said a couple of weeks ago, it's not like we should be making everyone think we're just sitting on the couch doing nothing all the time or that we're mean, but it's not that we are only doing good things when other people are watching. And we're not highlighting the good things we do um, to get praise from people. And this applies to prayer as well and fasting as we'll see later. Verse 5. Whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray standing in the synagogues 
and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. You want to join in again? But when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles, since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, because your Father knows the things you need before you ask Him. All right, we're going to say the Lord's Prayer together. Therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive others their offenses, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive others, your Father will not forgive your offenses. Verse 16. Whenever you fast, don't be gloomy like the hypocrites, for they make their faces unattractive, so that their fasting is obvious to people. Truly I tell you, they have their reward. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that your fasting isn't obvious to others, but to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. We now move into something that's focused on money. And it's a really interesting combination. So we have this thing of you're not doing your righteous acts in order to be seen by people, and this focus that comes up about possessions. We get to the end of this next little chunk and you can't serve two masters. You can't serve both God and money. And it's really clear. Um, and we see it in our society. We probably all see it in ourselves. Like that temptation to focus in on money. It's so prevalent. It's so easy um, to make that mistake. And the combination of these two things where we're not doing stuff in order to be seen by people, but we're also not getting distracted buy stuff that are secondary things like money. It's a really important combination. And for Adonis and Sapphira, they definitely fell into that trap. It was about being seen to be generous and they were willing to be deceptive in order to be seen as being generous. And I'm sure they were, like that is still an incredibly generous act. They weren't judged because they didn't give enough. I think you all got that, but I just want to make that really, really clear. They weren't judged because they didn't give enough. They were judged because they were deceptive. And they were making it appear that they were being more generous than they actually were. And I think it's easy for us, getting back to that Acts passage, it's easy for us uh, to sort of be pointing the finger at God a little bit with a verse like that, with a passage like that, and go... That seems unfair, like, how could you do that? How could you strike them down? It's not fair that they were killed over something like that. I think it's more helpful for us to take the other perspective and go, actually, I deserve what they received. It's not fair that I'm not judged for the things that I've done that certainly in my eyes, in my understanding, are worse than the things that they did. How gracious is God that he doesn't judge everyone the way that Ananias and Sapphira 
or judged. He is a gracious God. He is good to us. So we're going to continue that pattern of, uh, I'll read the odd verse and I'll get you guys to join in for the even. Um, so with starting at verse 19. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, since either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Sorry, I got a little lost in that one. You cannot serve both God and money. It was said a long, long time ago, money is like seawater. The more you drink of it, the thirstier you get. There's a... um, statement that um, still it's one of my favorite non-biblical quotes a guy called Jim Elliott um, I don't know 80 years ago something like that said he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose if you give your life You give your possessions, you give the things that are not going to be with you for eternity, give that for eternity with him. Give that for eternal life. You cannot lose it. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. It is so easy for us to get distracted, so easy for us to focus on earthly things, to focus on uh, money. And that section, verse 22 and 23, just the idea that the eye needs to be single, an older translation talks about the eye being single. I think it's helpful. It's not that we're getting distracted by other things. We have a singularity of focus where we're seeking Him. And my big question of today is what do you seek? What do you seek? Jesus asked that question depending on the translation, uh, a couple of different times. So he asked it. It's recorded in John chapter 1. So John the Baptist has just pointed at Jesus and said, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And a couple of his disciples that were John the Baptist's disciples go over to Jesus. And, you know, Jesus kind of notices they're hanging around him. What do you seek? What is it that you want? Uh, There was blind men that came to Jesus. They called out, have mercy on us, son of David. And he asked them, what do you seek? We want to be healed. For you, what is it? What do you seek? And as I look at my own life, I look at this past week, and I'm like, what do I seek? What does my life indicate that I'm seeking? And there's elements of my life that would indicate I'm seeking, I don't know if it's distraction or entertainment or some kind of 
patriotism, but there's been a fair bit of Olympics um, that I've been watching. Fair bit of, yeah, a bit of Olympic tragic right here. Um, I think over the past couple of years, like I'm on track to run two and a half thousand kilometers this year, and that's almost double what I ran last year. So it would seem that I'm seeking to run a lot, um, more than my mother-in-law um, would like me to run. And what does your life indicate? So for you, like what do you seek and what would your life indicate that you are seeking? As we read this next section, you know, we get to a a point, uh, verse 32, speaking about, you know, the crazy things of food and drink and clothing. Verse 32, for the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. That's what they seek. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. We are called to seek his kingdom and his righteousness. My question for you is what does your life indicate that you seek? Is it true of you that you seek first his kingdom? I look at my own life and I'm like, that would indicate yes, that would indicate no. Yes, some yes, some no. I want my life to not be divided like it currently is, where there's some things that would indicate yes and other things that indicate no. I want my life to indicate that I seek his kingdom and I seek it first. Verse 25. I'll try and stay in the groove with this one. And we'll do the same that we have been doing. I'll read the odd. You guys join in for the even. Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? And why do you worry about clothes? Observe how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. That's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and is thrown into the furnace tomorrow. Won't he give you much more So don't worry saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be provided for you. So in this mix, in the mix of seeking first the kingdom, like we are told to not worry. What an amazing antidote to worry, seeking first the kingdom is. If our perspective is looking at the king and what he is wanting to implement right around this earth, it is a beautiful perspective shift and focus shift. 
It means we're not getting caught up in distraction or destructive things. But rather, first and foremost, we are grateful for who he is and what he's done. And also we're empowered because we know that we are a part of his solution. We are a part of what he is doing here in bringing hope uh, to those around us. Like, it is so tempting to worry. The other night, I was across the road at, um, at Ogre. I was going to say the barn. I was at, the, at Ogre uh, with, a, uh, with a few others, and I found it really hard to hear. There was only five of us, um, but I found myself just struggling to hear the conversation. The rest of them were obviously doing fine. And I was like, oh, I'm going deaf, like just like my dad. I'm going deaf and found myself just starting to think those thoughts and starting to, to worry along those lines. But what a beautiful shift just to go, like, thank you, Lord, that you hear me. Uh, thank you, Lord, that I don't need physical hearing in order to, to hear your voice. Um, yes, and continue to pray uh, for my own hearing and those sorts of things. Yep, do that as well. But not spend the time of anxious thought. And when we catch ourselves giving that anxious thought, worrying about stuff, to allow God to draw our attention elsewhere or use it as a prompt for far more helpful meditation. Worry is meditation. We're just meditating on something negative rather than meditating on what is good. You know, that beautiful passage from Philippians, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. That is in really close proximity to the verse that says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the God of peace will be with you. Don't be anxious, rather, with thanksgiving, pray. And I think it's immediately following that when it says what we are to focus on. Think about these things. Think about what is good. Um, I actually want us to spend a little bit of time just whether it's in a, a pair, if it's a, a bigger group than that, um, just spend some time, read through this passage again. Uh, read through from verse 25 to 34 um, and just sit with that passage for a minute and reflect on it and consider your own, like what, what do you seek? Matthew chapter 6 from verse 25 to 34. So what do you seek? And not just giving the right answer. Like, wh what is it? Like, what are the things that will distract you? And one of those key things is worry. Like, what's a temptation for you to, to worry about? And we're in a world that is full of it. So much worry. So much anxiety. We've never seen the mental health um, epidemic, like bad mental health me uh, that we have at the moment. There's so much of it. Um, and, and we want to provide an answer. So we need to receive it for ourselves for a start. So I'll pray, um, and then we'll take a bit of time to, in small groups just to, to read through this, share with one another, pray with one another, and then we'll have our dinner.
So, Father, we thank you for your kingdom. We thank you that your kingdom is advancing. We thank you that your kingdom is already here. We rejoice that there's more to come. Lord, would you lift our eyes from the times when we are focused on earthly things and we are worrying. Lord, would you prompt us to lift our eyes and fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. We don't want to waste this life. We don't want to get stuck in a rut. We don't want to spend time just worrying when we have the opportunity to engage with you and the responsibility to share with others. Lord, we want to see your kingdom come. We want to see more people set free. And that includes us. We want to walk in that freedom. And we want to share it with others. So would you speak to us now? I pray that we would have the grace and the humility to be honest with each other. I pray that we would have an expectation of your empowering to change and to be an amazing blessing in the communities that you have placed us. In Jesus' name, hallelujah. Amen. So we will end with this in terms of the formal time. But take this time just to share with one another. Um, I will just 